There's a Māori whakatauki, the footsteps we lay down in our past create the paving stones of where we stand today. And those paving stones are always in front of you, so you always see them. And, and maybe, maybe that's why when you ask, have you learned anything in the past 30 years, why my answer is no, because those footsteps are always in front of me. Um, hmm. That was Sir Ian Taylor, the founder of Animation Research Limited, the founder of TaylorMade. And let's get this, in 2021 alone, ARL, or Animation Research Limited, created graphics for over 2,800 Major League Baseball games in the States, 80 golf tournaments, this little event called the America's Cup, an Ocean Race Series, and a whole bunch of other initiatives that they don't even talk about that are equally amazing. Sir Ian Taylor is an absolute Kiwi legend. He's an entrepreneur, he's a founder, he's a business owner. And in this episode, Ian talks about his story from when he was a young boy, how he developed TaylorMade, how he was a TV presenter, how Animation Research Limited was created, how they got their funding to do it, right through to now. This is an amazing story from an amazing Kiwi. Welcome to the New Zealand Small Business and Entrepreneur Festival podcast, delivered to you by DHL. So Ian Taylor is one of our headline speakers at the festival. So have a listen to this, because this is just a touch of what he's going to be talking about at the festival. Kia ora Ian, how are you? Kia ora Craig, I'm very good, thanks. Um, I am calling, it's the first day of spring, and it's this is my favourite time of the year actually. Spring, love it. The Tuis are going crazy. I'm based up in Rotorua in the North Island, um, Aotearoa, New Zealand. Whereabouts are you at the moment? I'm, I'm in our offices down in Dunedin, and it's three days away from my wedding anniversary because we, oh, wow. we picked the first weekend in spring. And it's about, Father's Day as well. About 35 years ago or something. I don't know how many there are. <laughs> A long time ago. Well, I hope you've got something awesome planned or something has been planned for you um, for your wedding anniversary. Congratulations. No I'm not sure what... We don't do plans. <laughs> we don't do plans. I wonder what 35 is when you're talking about, you know, yeah, um, 50s yeah, gold. Yeah, sort of gold, all those sorts of things, yes. I think it might Have even a... be more than 35. It might be close to 40, but... Okay, congratulations. So can you give us our audience of the, the Ian Taylor origin story? Like, maybe let, let's start way, way, way back and from your first ever job that you ever did, like even if it was a paper route or you're delivering milk or whatever that might have been, and then maybe your first sort of professional job. Could you could you take us through that journey? Um, I can do that quite quickly um, because, I mean, I, again, these things just happened. Um, I don't remember too much about um, the you know jobs I had as a childhood. I, I think I worked in the local dairy in Ropunga for a while, um, but mainly back in those days, back in those um, you know back in a rural community like um, Ropunga, uh, you just did jobs. I mean, you mowed the lawns, you went fishing, you um, went pig hunting with the with the uncles. Um, <laughs> those are the sort of things I remember. Uh, if I start to think about jobs, the first job I ever had was as a singer in a rock and roll band. Mm. Um, no, I left school, and, and maybe this kind of sets the 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 scene for perhaps you know there's a there's a Maori whakatauki, the footsteps we lay down in our past create the paving stones of where we stand today, and those paving stones are always in front of you, so you always see them, and and maybe 
maybe that's why when you ask, have you learned anything in the past 30 years, why my answer is no, because those footsteps are always in front of me. Um, hmm. If I had a normal view where your past is behind you, maybe I would look back there to see if I could see some lessons. But for me, the lessons are there every day. So there's nothing I could say today because I'm looking out there. But as I look out there, let's put this in context then. As I look out there, um, I see the first movie I ever saw was Bill Haley and the Comet Rock Around the Clock. And I think I was either four or five. And mm -hmm. it was in Kawakawa up north. And I remember coming home from that. Our neighbours took me, even. I didn't even go with mum and dad. I remember coming home from that thinking, oh, man, that looks really cool. One day I'm going to be in a band. And never thought about it again. I didn't even learn an instrument. So now yeah. I come forward on those footsteps. And it's now about 1969. And I'm doing my first uni university. So I went to university to do a business um, commerce degree. Um, mm -hmm. And that was really interesting because the reason I did a, decided to do a commerce degree at university was that um, we'd never, as a family, we'd never been, we'd never owned a brand new car. And I just got this in my head that in those days down in um, Upper Hutt, Lower Hutt, they used to have uh, General Motors used to make cars. So I thought, I'll go and get a commerce degree. Then I'll go and work for General Motors and I might get a car as part of the deal, a new one. That's as far <laughs> as my thinking went. But it didn't last very long because six weeks into the, um, into the course, into the degree, a friend of mine, Bernard Kerry, turned up and he was in a band called The Calculated Risk. And their singer, Carl Evanson, had just left and gone to the formula, the really you know, famous formula back, back those days. And they were in the, and Calculated Risk was playing in the Battle of the Bands that weekend. And ben, uh, Sam, sorry, um, Bernie said, you know, what are you doing this weekend? Can, can you come and fill in? Can you sing for us? So mm -hmm. I thought that sounds all right. So I went down and we, I sang at the Battle of the Bands and I, I think we got second. And um, at the end of that, Bernard said to me, so are you right? Are you into this business degree or would you like to join the band? And those footsteps were sitting right out in front of me and I can still remember Bill Haley and the Comets rock around the clock. And it was a no-brainer. I just said, mm, actually, a band in the 60s. Sounds like a pretty good idea to me. And so I left university and joined the band for three years. Yeah. And when you think about it, again, with all those footsteps in front of you, you never realized it at the time. But looking out there now, you realize that that was probably a better degree than a business degree because that's mm. what we were running. I was the oldest. I was 19. There were four of us, five of us in the band, and we were a business. We... Mm to produce a product that people would turn up at the town halls all around the country and pay to see. And if mm -hmm. they didn't, you couldn't pay the petrol to get to the next one. So I guess that was a pretty good start to a business. I've actually had that same conversation with Nina Kay. So Nina Kay is Tikitane's um, sister and manager as well. She said, all musicians are small businesses because yeah. you've got to develop your product, which is your, which is your, your tunes, like you said, or, or produce your music, and then you've got to market it. And now it's the social media, there's TikTok, there's there's everywhere. Right? You can and you, and you also now it's different as well, where you can cut out the the middle person. You can we could record a track right now, or we are literally recording something right now that can go into the Spotify with the touch of a button, which that was and that can go global. That was just not a thing back in the day, which is which is pretty cool now. But right, well, we've got to make the product. Thankfully, it wasn't around in those days because all we had to do was <laughs> in the back of the comma van, put the trailer yeah. on the back and drive to the next town. 
And, you know, it was an amazing experience, amazing way to see New Zealand. And mm. as I said, it was, uh, you know, it was a business. I, um, in 2007, I took over a basement in Hamilton. I was living in Raglan at the time and I turned it into a nightclub and it was a live music nightclub. And I, I, and I learned quite quickly. Yeah, that's a good. Um, I learned quite quickly where and how to do posters and where the best place to put posters are up. Did you have an idea of where the best place to what power poles to put yeah. posters on and and yeah. um, things like that? Yeah, yeah, that's what we did. We had these posters and we'd arrive in town and we'd go around and put them all on power poles everywhere. The mm. first time we ever came to Dunedin, we ended up staying with um, this the granny. She was eighty. Granny McLean, and Granny I don't McLean. know how we—I don't know how we ended up at at her place, but we ended up at her house, and we stayed there for a week and a half. And um, she was amazing. She would go around and put these bloody posters up for us. So they were all up and down Sterling Street, I think she used to live in, which is out in McAndrew Bay, with a whole lot of old people. I'm not sure that she hit the market quite well, quite right. <laughs> the demo was, was wrong. <laughs> and uh, we played at the Dunedin Town Hall, and sure enough, I'm up there and we're playing, and I look down the back of the hall, and here's this 80-year-old granny down the back there to see the boys play. Yeah, 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 that's cool. And uh, it was just the water and uh, flour, mix it up with a paintbrush, put the poster up, done. <laughs> And stays up forever to get in a little bit of trouble um, from the city council if you put too many posters up. Um, cool. So you went in the band three years, touring the yeah, country. Then I, well, while I was in the band, um, so uh, I actually got called up in the army in the compulsory military call-up. And mm -hmm. um, so that was about three years in. And I'd sort of, sort of, sort of done my thing, really. And a number of things aligned really well. We played in... Roxburgh, I think, and the band that opened for us um, had this amazing singer called Willie Davidson, mm -hmm. and um, I'm contemplating what I do about this army because I could have got out of it because mm -hmm. you didn't have to go if other people relied on you for their income, mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. that's a classic example of that. But Willie Davidson, I just said to the guys, look, I've been called up in the army. I think it's a sign. What if I go and do the, leave the band, I'll go and do the army, and you just go and hire this guy, Willie Davidson, who just opened for us because he can really sing. And that's what they did. They hired Willie and off they went. They ended up going to England. I ended up in the <laughs> army. Um, and um, yeah, and they were the Beatles. A, no, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that was a valuable experience. Well, the Beatles, I have a great Beatles story. When I, I was a Beatles fan when I was a kid, and yeah. my uncle worked in the hotel that they stayed in in Wellington, and he came mm -hmm. home with a beer bottle, and on it was written to Ian from John, Paul, George, and Ringo. That's, really? Was, Absolutely. And my wow. the story I tell, it used to sit on my windowsill. And one day, in, back in those days, they used to have beer bottle drives. Trucks used to drive past big trucks and you used to leave your beer bottles out. Mm. My father put this bloody beer bottle oh, out. No. The beer bottle. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. Sorry to interrupt. I know this is an awesome story with the end, but I just wanted to let you all know that on the 8th and 9th of November this year, 2022, up in Auckland, our actual New Zealand Small Business and Entrepreneur Festival is on at the Vodafone Event Centre. If you want to learn more about that, just jump onto Google and type in NZ SME Festival. Hit that search button and we'll come up. It'll be good to see you there. Back to you, Ian. So anyway, um, when I got out of the army, um, <laughs> I thought, oh, where do I go? And the best place we'd played uh, touring the whole country was actually Dunedin. 
we played at the Ag Hall, a couple of thousand people. It was just phenomenal. And um, I had met some people down here, so I rang up a couple of mates and they got me a job in the brewery. So I came down here and worked in the brewery. Then I thought, um, I spent a year doing that and thought maybe it's time to go back and get a degree. So I did a law degree at Otago. Mm -hmm. And again, this is another one of those footsteps you lay down. So I went to boarding school in Masterton back in 1961. And I remember going out they, in the weekends, they used the day, day boys would take you out to their place for dinner or something like that. And I went to this house and they had one of these new things called a television. TV, and I watched a show called The Donald Reed Show. Never forgotten it. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking there, so I was 11 now, and I could still remember thinking, well, that looks cool. Well, I'm going to be on telly one day. So anyway, jump forward, and now I've just finished my law degree. I'm about to go and get a law job, and somebody says, do you know the auditioning for Play School now? So I thought, oh, I've got to give that a crack, gave Play School a crack, and I got the job. Now I had to decide between Play School and a law degree. I remembered The Donald Reed Show. I remembered that those footsteps and thought, oh, well, the law can wait. This looks like fun. I'll go and do this. And mm. that's how I started down this track. And and the irony is I'm talking to you now from the building that it mm. all started in in 1969. So here's, a, here's the other thing, just linking that up. Again, those footsteps. So 1969 in, in, in the band, we came to Dunedin. It was the first time I'd ever been to Dunedin. I was 19. And I got, we got a full call from the TV people here saying that they were doing their Christmas special. Could we come in and sing on their Christmas special? So the idea was that's what we did. So I walked in the door of this building as a 19-year-old. I'm 72 now. So a 19-year-old, I walked through the doors, came up into here and the studio that was here and sang I Saw Mummy Kissing Santa Claus for the Christmas special. Yes. And as I walked out of the building... I thought, well, that was interesting. I'll never be back here. This is where I did play school. This is where I did spot on. So I went away for a while. This is where I started animation research and tailor-made. We left again. We've come back and renovated the entire building back to her original glory. And this is where we now do all of our stuff around the world from that very same building. So there's a, you know, there's a, um, there's a kind of connection that I or have always valued with these footsteps you laid down in your past. I love that. I actually had a, a conversation with a guy named James Rickard. He's a master carver at the New Zealand Māori Arts and Crafts Institute. Um, and, and his brother, actually, is Pablo Rickard, and their mum is Eva Rickard. Um, oh, and Pablo, Eva, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so Pablo, he taught me karate from um, when I moved to Raglan in, in 2000. Anyway, it's not my story. This is Anyway, this, this is Rick. There is a connection here. So James Rickard, he said he's a master carver, and he said, "I don't carve the wood. the The carving is already in the wood. Yeah, I just take I, I, my role is just just to just to bring it out. And it's the same. Yep. It's very similar to what you're saying about the footsteps ago. The carving is already there. It's just my job mm -hmm. to expose it, which is it's super I'll, cool. I'll show you this room because you know there's there's a number of things when you think what we're doing here. This building, you know, she embraces us. This is where the first phone call in New Zealand was ever made from. This is where wow. radio station was. This is where the first telegraph was sent out, Morse code, out of this building. And here we are, 130 or 40 years on, maybe more, doing exactly what she has always done, communicating mm -hmm. with the world. But here, I'll show you. This is this is just a little, little, little view of um, this is this room. Look at the stone walls. Wow. The rock yeah. walls there 
we had that made specifically because that's our number eight piece of wire. Oh, I get it. And, yeah, that's, yep. and here it all lines up with the glass things that are around there. So the whole building looks like this. I, I won't bore you by taking you out around the building, but we're mm -hmm. very, very proud of restoring her to her former glory, and she embraces us. This is It's the most wonderful, wonderful environment to come to work each day. And it's interesting, even, even the little things. So over there on that wall, yep. the light, because, you know, you see there's no windows, but yep. the light is coming from up above. That's the same temperature as the sunlight. So you feel like you're outside. A lot of thought that's, went into it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, that's real cool. And it's that negative detail as well, where the light's coming through, it's, it's, it's super rad. Hopefully one day I can get down there and check it out. Um, so then, so you in the band, um, play school, um, spot on, um, spot on, and funny then what? Videos. Well, what funny stuff videos I did, and what what happened was oh, TV yeah, and I remember that, yeah, and play school too. That was that was my era. <laughs> we 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 um, and we started. This is where the natural history unit was started. Um, I, I I started working as a producer, director for television, and had been doing that for ten to twelve years, maybe even longer. Um, when TVNZ decided they'd close the studios down and shift everything to Wellington mm -hmm. and laid off 350 people. Um, mm. And I remember by that stage, I decided I wasn't leaving Dunedin. Um, I really liked it here. And the only thing I knew at that time was TV. The law degree had sort of gone on the bottom drawer somewhere and I'd forgotten all that. <laughs> um, so I called up TVNZ and said, what if we bought or leased the studios off you and we'll just keep going? We'll keep it running. We'll just, that's where our tailor-made came about. Um, and it's a lovely story because I had to borrow, we came to an agreement. They said, yeah, and we'll give you this program to make. So it was a kid's show. So that was a starting point. But we needed half a million dollars to take over the place. And um, so I remember I didn't have that money. I had about $10 in the bank, I think, at the time. And um, <laughs> my, mate, who's a, the, my <laughs> mate, who's a um, um, accountant, Māori accountant, Phil Broughton, it was a Sunday. I shot up to his place. He was still in bed. I tapped on a bedroom window. I said, Phil, we need to have a conversation. So anyway, he got up. I said, look, I need to borrow half a million dollars to take over the studio. <laughs> and he said, oh, well, come in. We better do something. I said, well, what do you need to do? He said, well, we've got to write a business plan and projections and some financials and all this. And he rattled on. And I said, oh, Phil, come off that. No, we're Maori. We don't write. We, we, we tell our story. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do, Phil. On Monday, I'm going to go and see the bank manager and ask him for the money. And he said, well, good luck with that. So anyway, next Monday, I popped down to the bank, Andrew Wilson. I'll never forget Andrew. He was the bank manager here. And I went in, and he was a surfer, so I knew I could talk to him. We windsurfed together. So anyway, I went in and said, Andrew, I need to borrow half a million dollars. And Andrew said, well, well, we better go for a walk. So we left the bank. And we walked the whole street of Dunedin, the main street of Dunedin and back. And by the time we got back, he said, you've got the money. And <laughs> that wouldn't happen today. But if Andrew hadn't put his faith in this crazy story from this bloody ex-singer in a band, um, we, we no, not probably, we wouldn't be here today. But he lent us the half a million dollars and here we are. So, so what age were you then? I was 40. I started this business in 1990, and I was 40. Wow. And I suppose if I look out at the footsteps now, um, as again, you know, if 
look out at the footsteps to take valuable lessons. I mean, that's a lesson for somebody as well. You know, mm. I mean, I, and here's another one. So I was 40 when we started the program. I, uh, when we started the company here in this building, I was 70 when we made our first profit. So it was 30 years before we made a profit. And I had never noticed that we hadn't made a profit. I mean, we were here every year. We got bigger. We were doing cool stuff. And there were more and more people working. And I, I, I jokingly talk about I was just talking to Cheryl about it now, about um, that because we're just looking through the spreadsheets. I don't read them because they always used to have bad news, so I don't read them anyway. But um, <laughs> she had she had them out for the board meeting, and we were looking for She was just showing them stuff. And I, I mentioned it. I said, God, I remember in um, 2019, I remember you put this, somebody put the spreadsheets out in front of us. And I looked down at the bottom right-hand corner and said, what's this thing down here? And someone said, that's a profit. I thought, God, is that, is that what it looks like? And, <laughs> it's and weird. That's, yeah, yeah. It's black or whatever color it's supposed to be. <laughs> it's, it's a, yeah, it was in a little nice little box and thingy. And, and yeah, it was our first problem. So massive amounts of lessons there. So for the people out there who might be listening to this podcast who are um, thinking about starting a business or they're a side hustler in their, in their 20s or um, they're in their teens still and they're thinking they're not making it, you know, you didn't start tailor-made until you were 40, which no. is, no, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's amazing. So you're 32 years into it now? Yep. Um, what what was the first project that you like? Wow, that was we that we really. Well, actually, I rewind. Has there been a time when you when you've been saying to yourself or thinking, we really need to do, we really need something now to kick our business off? No, no, um, <laughs> no. I, it was it was interesting because um, animation research started. I, I, I have a clip. I mean, this is the wonderful thing about these footsteps. A lot of those footsteps have been recorded. I have this video clip that I play, and it's me reading the news in 1990 about mm. um, a new thing called computer graphics. And I mean, it's absolutely amazing, as they talked about it, potentially being a billion dollar industry somewhere in the future. Well, mm. I mean, look at it now, but I'm actually <laughs> reading this story out about putting computers, you know, computer graphics and things, and that it is the future, turning pic um, data into pictures. And here we are today. And I read that news story in this very building. And I remember thinking, how would I get involved in that? Because I got no idea what, he, what they're talking about. And the next week was when I read the story about the four Otago University students who had gone to America and won the World Computer Programming Champs. Um, oh, wow. The first non-American university to ever win it. And mm -hmm. they had beaten Stanford, Caltech, Harvard. They built, beat everybody, Massachusetts. MIT, they beat them all. And so, and they were just down the road. So I just started TaylorMade here, making television. And I remember I went down and met their lecturer, Jeff Weibel, and said, gee, and saw what they were doing. And it was incredible in graphics. And I, I remember saying to him, you know, if we put together what you're doing with what your students are doing with graphics, with what we do with television, one day we could get a job in Auckland. And <laughs> on a handshake, that's how we started ARL. And two of that team came down here and started working in this building. Another two came with them. And those, those they're still here, 32 years on. 
And, um, you know, you talk about, I mean, maybe I'll share with you um, a, a video clip that you could just feed in here and let it run. Yeah, yeah, I'll overlay it. I was looking through the archives of stuff because I've kept records of all of this. And I looked through the archives and I have, I've made a showreel of TV commercials we made. And the first commercial we made was in 1992. So that was only two years after we started. And in a period from 1992 to 1996, you've got these. You've got the, I've, I've sent you the video, right? <laughs> these, just look at the dates coming up for this yeah. video and think that these are four students from Otago University who came to this building and had never made anything for television. They were computer programmers, and this is what they delivered within, started delivering within two years of us starting the company. Um, it's really quite remarkable, and some of you might not recognize all of these, but I can guarantee your parents will. Um, mm -hmm. and, it, and, you know, there was never a business plan written. There was never anything. We just made these things. The first computer we bought cost six uh, $6,000 and was 10 megabytes. Um, <laughs> we had to buy a, a huge RAM. We bought a one gigabyte, gigabyte um, hard drive that cost us $15,000 to make wow. that first commercial back in 1992. That's mm. the one that's um, United Airlines. So made for an American company, United Airlines, out of Dunedin. Um, mm. I mean, who would have planned that? And the other thing, of course, in 1992, while they were making all these ads, two of the guys found time to write the first code for the America's Cup graphics, which we have done for every America's Cup since 1992. Amazing. So, Amazing. no, not at any time did I sit here and think, heck, you know, we've got to do something. Mm. Um, every day, some moves. They <laughs> just, just arrived. <laughs> and stuff was just happening. Yeah. And you, and then the, the I suppose when, once you start getting into that global sort of market where you're doing graphics and amazing innovative graphics for um, the America's Cup, then your brand organically grows and people start going, wow, who's doing that stuff? And then is that when your sort of your phone starts ringing or your emails? No, maybe not emails. It's but... interesting. Yeah, we don't have a marketing division at all. Never have had. Never had yep. sales or marketing. Nothing. Um, and but. But when you think of that that thing that sat on the wall in those days, because there wasn't any internet, so the screen in the corner of everybody's room, house, was our marketing engine. And, and the mm. America's Cup wasn't a huge audience either at the time, but it was mm. an important audience. And I always tell you, you know, we do every golf tournament, until Liv turned up, we do every golf tournament, major golf tournament in the world. We do 100 tournaments, you know, almost two a week, every week. Right all over the world. Um, but our first golf tournament, the first one, the way we got into it, everyone talks about, you know, once you get established, the big thing is how do you break into that international market, especially America? Well, my story is really quite simple. I was sitting in a hotel room in New York and I was watching the telly and they had golf on and we'd already done a thing here at the New Zealand Open where we did one hole with computer graphics. Then we'd done another one in Australia. I think we'd done two in Australia where we did seven or eight holes. Um, and I'm watching the golf in New York and I thought, oh, I'll ring them and see. So 
I rang ABC because I was on ABC mm. at the time. I rang ABC and asked if their golf producer was there, just on the off chance. And I said, well, actually, he is. So they put me through to, put me through to I'm just putting his name now, put me through. And they said, look, I'm yeah. just watching you golf on telly. I'm from New Zealand. And I think we've got something you might be interested in. And he said, well, yeah. who are you? And I said, oh, <laughs> my name's Ian Taylor. I have a company called Animation Research. And so, well, I've never, what do you do? And I said, well, I mean, this is a long shot, but um, probably the biggest thing we've done is the America's Cup. And he went, did you do the America's Cup? Are you the guys? <laughs> I'm a sailor. I like, get down here. Oh. <laughs> so in the door we went, we had a good chat, and then he said, um, Curtis Strange was the lead commentator, and he said, look, I love it, but we're going to have to get Curtis Strange across the line, so could you come back in three weeks and mm. to a tournament in Florida? So there we go, you know, we had to pay for all this, so I went back home, grabbed George Seeley, who was our programmer, we went up, we booked a motel on the side of the golf course, and we waited there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I was thinking, what is going to happen? Saturday, we get a phone call from the producer. He said, Curtis is free in the morning. We'll come past um, before breakfast, and you can show it to him then. So this is the last day of the tournament. They turn up. Curtis comes in. He sits down with George. George starts playing this thing. Curtis goes, can you do this? Can you do that? And he looks at the producer. He says, I love this. Let's do it. And that was it. <laughs> That's it. We now That's it. Every golf tournament. We now do every golf tournament for the PGA. That's so rad. It's just a phone call. Just So for people listening out there, the lesson there, so I just pick up the phone. Or The, the cool thing now is that if, if you want to reach out to someone who was that person, go to LinkedIn. <laughs> just reach them in there. Yeah, it's yeah, really yeah, easy. Exactly. Yeah. You, you wonder, you, you do wonder sometimes, though, if, the, you know, it's that same open attitude. You know, back, back in those mm. days, there was way more trust. Um, people mm. looked you in the eye and thought, oh, I can trust you. Um, or, you know, I, you don't see quite as much as that. I mean, you imagine trying to do a deal with a, the university now. I mean, we mm. did that on a handshake. Yeah, That was it. You, you couldn't do that now. Um, and the bank, Andrew Wilson. Can <laughs> you imagine bank, asking your bank manager for half a million dollars and he says, let's just go for a walk? I don't have a bank manager. I don't have any single point of contact. Yeah, I'm not sure I do anymore. You know, it's just all gone into the ether. Yeah, it's just app-based and you just see um, 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 numbers moving across accounts, coming in, coming out. Yeah. Don't even, money doesn't really exist um, in a way. So you got your, your PG, So this is such a rad story. So here's my question. Yep. So the, other thing I say, <laughs> the other thing I can say too, is that we have, we've, we've always, because we never ever, wrote, I've never written a business plan. Um, yeah. Because we never ever wrote a business plan, um, if I look out there, what we have done is we've only ever done things that we've liked and we've mm. only ever worked with people we like. And because we didn't have outside investors demanding, you know, this quarterly report or that quarterly report, we had the luxury of, this is really cool. So let's just keep doing it. And one day we might make some money out of it as well. And um, I, I heard a lecture, I heard someone talking the other day. And it's funny, as you hear someone talking, it was at the Morgo conference in Queenstown. And I mean, these are really high powered financiers and people from around the world. You know, and I don't put myself in that league at all. You know, we're just this funny little company from New Zealand. But one of the things that they were addressing was a move in thinking 
from making profit to adding value, that what you need to do is add value. And if you do that well, the consequence of adding value for people is that you will start to make money from it and it could be profitable. But the core is add value. And as I heard him say that, in 1990, when I met Jeff Weigel, Jeff said, the currency of the future will be digital data. The opportunity is to turn digital data into pictures that people could understand. Now, if we approach that from a business perspective, it would have been the opportunity is to turn digital data into pictures people will pay for. But mm. from the very start, it is digital data. Can we add value to that? And if you look at everything we've done in 32 years, it has all come off that premise that we will turn digital data into pictures that people could understand. And if you look at the America's Cup, there's an XY coordinate that comes off the back of the boat. That's digital data. We turned it into pictures and suddenly people can understand yacht racing. You, mm. look at a, you look at golf, there's a ball flying through the space through an XY coordinate. That's digital data. We take that digital data, turn that into the pictures that you see. So everything we do, it continues to be turning digital data into pictures that people can understand and enjoy and get value from. And lo and behold, after 32 years, people are paying for it. <laughs> and after 30 years, it made a profit. Mm. So there's PJ Golf, you've got or Golf, there's um, America's Cup. Is there, what, what other sports well, have you been PGA in? Is in America, we have the DP World, which is the whole European tour as well. Oh, yeah. So okay. that's, that's all it. being made. So maybe maybe just jumping forward um, yep. to COVID um, because you know <laughs> yeah, we're running out of time. So yeah. and, and and it's a nice it's a nice segue because um, in 2019 we made our first profit and it I mean it was it was really good and we thought now yeah now we're underway you know we're no longer a startup we're we're a 32 <laughs> year old startup now we're off so we we're made on, our yeah. first. And, you know, one of the interesting things is I could point to every contract we'd signed over those 32 years, we still had. So it was this idea of working with people you trust, who you liked, and they obviously liked us. So contracts just got renewed. They didn't get tendered out again. We just would get a message, oh, your contract's run out. Can you write us a new one? So that that's relationships. But so 2019, our biggest profit, our first profit, and 2020 was going to be our biggest year ever. And just to put that in context, we had just signed every golf tournament in America and Europe. We had the America's Cup was about to start in Italy. We had um, we were in discussions with Major League Baseball. Um, we were in discussions with NFL. There was just all this stuff mm. breaking up everywhere, NASCAR, the whole lot. And um, I, I remember flying up, it was January the 11th. Again, footsteps are in front of me. January 11th, 2020. I'm flying, flying to um, Abu Dhabi for our first golf course, a golf tournament, and I went through Heathrow and to, to on, on route and um, picked up a Guardian newspaper. And on page six was a story about a 61-year-old man who died of pneumonia in a city I'd never heard of called Wuhan. And I remember reading it and wondering, what, I wonder when this will be on page one, you know, because they're not quite mm. sure what it is. And we didn't have to wait long. On March the 13th, less than three months after reading that story, everything shut down. We were in America at the time. We had just done our first day of golf, Thursday at this major golf tournament. By Friday, that golf was cancelled. 
by Sunday, all the golf was cancelled. By within two weeks, every sporting event we had in the world was gone. So we'd gone from our biggest year ever to zero. And that was happening to people all over the world. Um, and it was interesting because I think, again, part of this thing, you know, you, you, we talk about starting a business. I, I, I really don't think about it as a business. We started a family of mm. doing things, and that family is all here, and some of the kids now work here. And mm. I, I just love that. But because it was a family, there was a non-negotiable that happened straight away. We didn't even have to call a board meeting to discuss it, but no one was going to lose their jobs. You don't do that to family. So um, as I flew back, Cheryl, our CEO, sort of worked through that premise. And, and you know, it, it, she, it was non-negotiable for her as well. So long story short, by the time we come back, that profit we'd made the year before, that was all gone because we just shifted <laughs> and said, right, we can afford, we'll take 20% off. We've got to drop the salary by 20%. Um, she did this beautiful thing and said that from her view, viewpoint, no one who is earning less than $65,000 should take any cut at all because that just starts to make it really hard. So everyone above 65000 would figure out what cuts we took so that the end result was 20%. And as an example of you know, her leadership, Cheryl took an immediate 50% cut, just no debate, no nothing. And everybody matched around her and did what they, the maximum of what they could, which meant that everybody kept their jobs um, and our, our job, job description was now you go home and look after yourself and that's your number one priority. And if that takes you seven days a week from now, which was March to the end of the year, we can afford to pay you to do just that and nothing else. Um, we get to the end of the year and we haven't done anything. We're all in trouble. But mm -hmm. that was the premise upon which we moved forward. And then we said, while you're at home, what we want to think about now is what is the world going to look like after COVID, or what if COVID hangs around? What are the opportunities? Never think of the challenge, never put the word challenge with the word COVID, only put the word opportunity. And within a week, my head of innovation, a young guy, you're not, oh yeah, he's still young, John Rendell, he's in his 30s. I started with us straight out of school, he has no degrees, he's just incredible, brightest guy I know. He called me up from his, he's isolating with his dad on a farm at the back of Dunedin. And he said, look, there's this amazing opportunity from COVID. And I said, well, what's that, John? He said, well, imagine if all the sporting events start again and the borders are closed and we can't get to them. I thought, Whew. you know, that, I mean, that's us done and dusted. And it was a real possibility. Mm -hmm. And you know, all I could hear uh, ringing in my head was the word challenge. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I didn't use it. I said, so what's the opportunity, John? He said, well, if all the borders are closed, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to build a whole new infrastructure and figure out how we do every sport event in the world from our offices in Dunedin without having to leave. And I said, geez, that, I mean, that's, that's enormous, John. I said, I know. He said, I know, but imagine how big that opportunity is. If we nail this, we, the world is just changed for us. We don't have to travel to any of these events. A whole pile of events we don't do now, we can do. Um, all of these sorts of things. And so within the space, um, so that was uh, the second week, first week of April, May, sort of mid-April, when he, when he came up with this idea. On June the 10th, the first sport event in the world went live. It was a golf tournament from Texas. And all of the graphics were, were delivered from this building here. 
the first time ever in the world. And we've delivered every golf tournament in the world from here since then. So because, that because was you're, collect, you're collecting data from the thing and then you're turning it into pictures. So I suppose you, you don't have to physically be there. All in right? real time from our yeah. office. Under the, so my carbon footprint, I used to do between half a million and a million Ks a year. We used yeah. to have teams from a different country every week or a different state every week. That carbon footprint has been lowered by about 90%. Um, and the incredible thing is that baseball saw what we were doing with golf and we have developed an entire baseball platform from here in Dunedin to them in America. We've never been to a baseball game. We now do three and a half thousand games of baseball a year and we are <laughs> so another 4,000 are about to come online and it's all happening from this building and that was the opportunity. Man, what a building. Ian, this has been amazing. You are speaking at the New Zealand Small Business and Entrepreneur Festival. Oh, it's 11 o'clock. I've got to go. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 10 seconds, 10 well, seconds. I hope, I hope not too many people watch this because I think I just gave my speech. <laughs> Damn it. Well, hopefully they do because then they can see it in real life because it's, it's an amazing story, Ian, and you're an absolute treasure of New Zealand Aotearoa, and thank you so much for your time. I appreciate let's, it. Ian is talking great, at the, great, great. the festival. Let's, let's put this in context. You know, I mean, people do say that, but, you know, I have this picture, you know, I talk about being a singer in a rock and roll band, and I have this picture of me on stage, and I'll share it, and this spoils the story as well, I suppose. But but as I look out there, I, I see this picture, and I look up. I never learned to play an instrument. All I did mm. was to stood at the front of the band. The people who made the music, the people who played the instrument, was the band alongside me. And I talk about that in this context. As far as when we look at animation research, I was just the singer in the band. It was the people around me who played the music. That is what you're celebrating today. The perfect words to end this time. Ian, thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to catching up with you in real life in November. You better shoot off to your meeting. Yes. <laughs> this has been so cool. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate your time. Have a great day. Goodbye. Goodbye. Wow. That's Ian Taylor. So Ian Taylor is one of our headline speakers at the New Zealand Small Business and Entrepreneur Festival up in November, or up in Auckland, sorry, in November the 8th and 9th. You need to listen to Ian. He is absolutely a legend in New Zealand. Um, and hopefully you can get some inspiration from this podcast. That was cool. Enough said. <laughs>